since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Mom, you're back. You're back on the podcast. Our resident therapist. Yes, happy to Welcome. be here. Thank you. We're going to talk about anger today because in our calls, you know, we have the Sober Mom Life Cafe, and uh, that's where we get to connect with women who are examining their relationships with alcohol and uh, finding freedom and sobriety. And anger has come up quite a bit in the meetings, and so we thought we would bring it to the pod, bring some anger. You know what this podcast <laughs> needs? It needs a, a little, little bit, bit of anger. anger. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of anger never hurt anybody. I got anybody. some. I got some. <laughs> I got some stored up. Okay. And there's a lot of ways that we could talk about anger because we could talk about anger and how 
alcohol affects our anger, right? And how to deal with that and what's going on with it. And then we can talk about anger and sobriety and how to deal with that. There's a lot of anger we can talk about. There is a lot of anger we can talk about. And it actually was a focus of my practice for a long time because I worked with domestic violence perpetrators. These were not the guys that were doing felony kind of stuff like strangling their partners. They were the they were the guys that got on it's called a deferred prosecution agreement. Basically, they lost control of their mind for a little bit. Yeah. And they did things like threw something or yelled or swore or something, and then a neighbor called the cops on them. I don't want to minimize what they had done, but they weren't the real scary guys. But they were guys that really didn't understand their anger. And so that was a real focus of my my practice. I had groups of men and trying to help them deal with their anger and understand it. Yeah, so I really focused a lot on anger as a secondary emotion. Yeah. And I remember when you were doing that and it was, it was so weird because it would be like, you know, how many guys were in there? Like 12 guys? Eight to 12. Okay. And then you'd be like, okay, well, I got to go meet with my, with my guys. And I'm like, oh, okay, mom, like little mom going into a a room of 12 uh, DV guys. I'm like, be be safe. It sounds a little bad. (laughs) But were you ever scared? I was not scared, and partly because what my approach is always to help them feel understood. So if they're angry, not to say that that's bad or they're they're mean and awful, but to help them understand that when they're angry, there's probably something vulnerable under it. And they had no clue because men are not acculturated to understand that, oh, when I'm mad, it's really because I'm scared. And men don't like to say they're scared. Yeah. Or even admit it to themselves. Totally. It's like that tweet that someone said, like, men have gotten away for a long time saying that anger isn't an emotion and that women are the emotional ones. It's right. like, wait, wait, you guys are emotional. You know you're you know you're dramatic, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. And I know we're we're generalizing, but still. Yeah, it is general, but is really the reason these things are general is because they're very, very common, very true. Yeah. And when men start to understand that looking under the anger to find out what is really going on. Yeah. And then they're all in marriages or relationships. So to tell them, if you're going to communicate your anger, that's going to be a fight. But if you're going to communicate you know, the other vulnerable stuff, there's more likely to be a conversation and a a meeting of the minds kind of thing. Yeah. And that's hard to do. (laughs) Not not only just for men, but I mean, for, for everybody, right? And so let's talk about what's going on. First of all, anger. And, and I think that, I mean, women have a lot of anger. Yes. Yeah. Right. And kind Damn of right. Right, rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I mean, that's even right. not just men don't know what's going on behind underneath our anger, right? Like if we have been drinking women, if we have been drinking for our entire adult lives, it's safe to say we probably don't know what's underneath our anger too. Because when we feel it, when we feel some sort of emotion, whether it's stressed out or angry or frustrated or lonely or listless or anything – and we're pouring a glass of wine, what is that doing? Yeah, we don't have to figure anything out. We just numb it. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that's so important about understanding anger is that 
when we're super angry and we can feel it in our body, so our elevated pulse, hot, I would get sort of shaky um, when I'm getting super angry. So when you can feel the anger in your body, that is a signal that you're in the amygdala. Mm-hmm. And the amygdala, the part of our brain that is the fight or flight or freeze, that is sort of our, it's sort of the lower. Is it like the lizard brain? Or Yeah, the reptilian brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Fact, Not lizard. Yeah. Well, actually, there's a great book by Don Ferguson. It's called Reptiles in Love. And it's mm. addressing that very thing. Like when we get so angry that we're in that part of the brain, we just can't think. And so not only are we lashing out or out of control, we also can't figure out that what is this really about? And that's what I taught all the time, not just in those DV groups, but with clients who just get sort of leveled by their anger, that you have to take 20 minutes at minimum to take a break to breathe, to get out of that part of the brain so we can access the higher functioning parts of our brain, the parts that can organize our thinking, that can make a plan, that can understand, that can even have a sense of humor. You know, when you're super mad, you can't, if if your partner makes sort of a joke trying to lighten the mood, that doesn't fly. Totally. Yeah. So if you're in the amygdala, you can't access the part of yourself that makes you human, actually. And connect, right? Yes, exactly. And can identify those vulnerable feelings like sad, afraid, ashamed, hurt, all of the things that are really what's going on and that need to be addressed. I think that the idea of feeling it in our bodies is so important right? Because we, yes. that's something that is tangible, that we can all feel. Like my pulse goes up. I get a little dizzy feeling, like kind of lightheaded, right? When I'm like, I'm in my amygdala and my brain's not working, like I'm actually feeling it in my brain, like off center. Yeah. And we're in that sort of kill or be kill mode, which we need that part of our brain. It's not like, well, if we just got more elevated and more insightful, we wouldn't have to have that part of our brain. That part of our brain is super important. I mean, if someone pulls a gun on us, we can't stop and think, gee, should I go left or right? Or I wonder or, what I'm or really like, feeling. Hmm, I wonder, are you feeling scared right now, person <laughs> pulling a gun? Like, can we talk right. about this? I would like to connect with you. <laughs> right. right. No, we just have to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And so that part of our brain is really important. But the problem is we get triggered into that part of our brain when it's just something like, I saw my husband talk to a blonde. Mm-hmm. So then it feels like it's life-threatening. Yeah. Because we're so scared and we're furious. And so we come at it as a, in a way that's not really helpful. Yeah, totally. And a way that just makes us feel more alone when what we want is connection. And then it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy and some sort of like vicious circle. That's right. It makes me think of, I just reminded of this, The remember the, the show, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond? Yeah, yeah. She had PMS. And she was yelling at him, don't you know that I need a hug? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's like this monster coming at him, but really she's just feeling sad. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get a hug that way. Right. It's like my spikes are out. 
I just right. just love me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and I think this is an, an important conversation because and how does it relate to alcohol, right? And so yes. when it comes to women and us feeling angry, well, first of all, I mean the trope of an angry woman, like especially an angry black woman, right? Like that is yeah. so frustrating. Like w- women are allowed to get angry. Yes. And anger is a message. That's the important thing is if we just are like, uh, I've had clients that just thought anytime they were angry, it was bad and they were working really hard not to ever be angry. That's just not realistic or helpful or no. healthy. That's creepy. You know, those people, yeah. those people that who are like creepy. always happy. I'm yeah. always like, first of all, I don't trust you at all. And something, what's going on? (laughs) Because if you're like always showing me this like shiny, happy people exterior, I'm like, you are hiding a lot. And like, I want you to just be vulnerable and be like, no, this fucking sucks right now or something. And you're not giving me that. Then I kind of just stay away because I'm like, yeah, I don't trust you. (laughs) I think that's a very unrealistic way to be in the world. And there's a whole lot of shit going on underneath. Yeah. See, says the therapist. (laughs) That's right. That's the technical term. Yeah. 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 But so anger is a message. And if we are only paying attention to the anger and not digging down Mm -hmm. and figuring out, am I afraid? And if I'm afraid, what am I afraid of? And what do I need? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about this in your group all the time. How do I feel and what do I need? And if we stop it, I'm angry, then it's so much harder to figure that out. Yeah, I'm angry. And so I'm going to pour a glass of wine. Yeah, then I won't be angry anymore. And right. I won't pay attention to what I really need. To what I need. Not only then is it the obstacle, right, to figuring yes. out, not only is alcohol the obstacle to figuring out how we actually feel and what we actually need, but also, it chemically affects our brain and our amygdala, right? Yes, it does. It does two things. One thing is it lowers our inhibitions. And so our ability to control the emotion is way less. So, you know, the crying drunk woman, the, yeah, the throwing thing, drunk woman. And the, and the drunk angry man, or like if you're getting into a fight with your husband over something that's really, really stupid that you realize the next morning they were like, what were we even fighting about? But it felt like life or death right at the time, which also being sober has completely cut down on, I'm not a mathematician. I know that shocking maybe like 86% of our fights, you know, 86, not 85. No, no, 86.7% of our fights. (laughs) Like there's just not those stupid little fights and those stupid little fights happen for a reason. It's not just because like, oh, well, yeah, it's the alcohol. It's like, no, the alcohol is affecting your brain. It's affecting how, how you process things. It's lowering your inhibition. Yes, and our ability to just manage our emotions or ourselves is just, well, yeah. I mean, that's what it does. That's why we go to it, right? I don't have to feel. However, then my feelings are just amplified. And so, yeah, so it does both things. It deadens our feelings and it amplifies them. It just fucks us up. It, it just fucks just us up. <laughs> and then right. it also, so not only does it lower our inhibition and our impulse control and all of that stuff, but then the amygdala is kind of offline too. Yes. Right? Yes. So the the scanning for danger, 
that part of the amygdala is deadened. And that's why sexual assault is so common when women are drunk. Yeah. Because, yeah, the the ability to pick up on cues of this is dangerous. Mm -hmm. I need to take care of myself here. I need to get my my friends around me or whatever. That scanning for danger is is messed up as well. And so the survival part when we need it is offline when we drink alcohol. But then the part that's going to screw everything up and trick us into everything is way online. Yeah, is elevated. Absolutely. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So it, the bottom line on this is how much alcohol just messes up our brain and the things that are part of our brain that are meant to keep us safe. And whether it's to manage our emotions so that we can speak in a way that is using that higher functioning stuff so we can really connect and get what we need, that goes away. And also then the part that's supposed to keep us safe and protect us and put us in that fight or flight mode when we need it, Mm -hmm. that is, is damaged as well. And so you know, we always talk about alcohol being a toxin and we talk about it in terms of our liver and our, you know, our, our physical body, but also what it does to our brain is just so damaging. Literally no upside guys. If you're new to the podcast and you're thinking, you know, I just want to see, yeah, here you're just going to, there's just zero upside to alcohol. Okay. So this is all what we're talking about, how alcohol affects our brain and our anger and how that comes out. But then also we have to talk about anger in sobriety too, right? Because then when we have been drinking, even if you guys, even if your story is not a rock bottom story, even if it's not, you're, you're thinking, well, I didn't, you know, I wasn't drinking two bottles of wine a night. Like I, so it's, it wasn't affecting me even then, first of all, it still was 100% affecting your brain and completely an obstacle to figuring out how you feel and what you need. And so then when you stop drinking, there will be anger. Yes, because anger, as I keep saying, anger is a message. And I'm glad you brought that up because there is something that's really important about when we get angry. Um, one of the things you said was like, you, when you're drunk, you fight about little things that just like, why are we even fighting? That can happen to us when we're sober as well. When we fight about something that's like so over the top for what actually happened, like why did that particular thing make me so angry? It just- Yes. Like, okay. Like an example, when Russell- <laughs> Let's just talk about my husband for a second. (laughs) Put him under the microscope here. You know, I have a drawer in our kitchen of like the things I collect from, you know, if the kids order McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, you know, all of the napkins and the extra, you know, the sauces and the utensils, (laughs) right? It's like, it's my one like hoarding drawer, right? It's still like pretty organized if it's a hoarding drawer, (laughs) P.S. Right. Right. And so- it's that drawer. Like I know I can go to it. Like I've got like eight honey mustard sauces in there and I know I could go to it when I need it. It's there when I need it. Right. It makes me feel good. Okay. (laughs) Just having that drawer. Right. It's a little drawer. It's not taking up a lot of room. Well, when I'm gone for a weekend and I come home and that drawer is now empty (laughs) because he, he threw out all of my things and I get 
very mad, right? <laughs> I've been there when that's happened. I actually <laughs> yeah, was yeah, there the last yes, time. You were yeah. there. And yeah. I get very mad. I'm not mad because now I need more honey mustard sauce. <laughs> like I'm not mad because I'm like, how dare you touch my honey? I'm mad because it feels like he doesn't understand me and how organized I am and that he will allow me just to have this one drawer. It makes me want to say, go to the garage. What about you? Right? And so there's yes. so much behind him throwing out my honey mustard sauces. That is such a good example because who cares about honey mustard sauce? I mean, I do, but... Well, yeah. you do, but... <laughs> I but, do like honey mustard sauce. <laughs> yes, you do. But it touches on something that is so much deeper, which is I'm not respected or my world isn't safe. Yeah, yes. Yes. Where did that come from? Being a kid of divorce, mm-hmm. you go here, you go there. Where the hell is your stuff? And, and is my stuff safe? And am I safe? So honey mustard is not the fight. The fight is, am I safe? Yeah. Yeah, like you touching my honey mustard sauce and just moving it, it feels like huge to me. And then if I'm just like, how dare you touch my honey mustard? And he's like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. Settle down, right? Yeah. Oh, and then and, I'm uh, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, settle down. And then it's no, off to the races. Right. No one in the history of settling down has ever settled down by <laughs> yeah. being told to settle down. Yes. But so these are important things to dig around in. Sometimes you need therapy in order to do that. Because if there are continual fights about things that feel minimal and the, and your partner's like, what the hell is going on with you? Then f- figuring out the family of origin stuff, the deeper stuff. I had one client who, whenever she told her husband anything, corrected him on anything, he would get into such a rage. And so we worked like on figuring out what's the real feeling underneath it, what's the vulnerable feeling. As we dig deeper into what's going on, his dad was a horrible drinker and really abusive and would always call him stupid. Hmm. So here's this guy. If his wife does does any correcting whatsoever, it just triggers that whole you're stupid. Yeah. So We couldn't get to any remedy or connection around that until we understood this isn't about, you know, just put the dishes here instead of here. This is about you're calling me stupid. And that's a core issue from the way I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so anger, again, we have to really pay attention to anger and not just say, well, you're you're so angry, you got to just settle down. That's not true. Right. And, you know, this is where alcohol comes in because, okay, so take that fight, for instance. And if I wasn't, if I didn't, you know, have a therapist mom and know (laughs) that there was way more about the honey mustard and and that it was way deeper. And if I wasn't in touch with how I was feeling and what I was needing, right, it all comes back to that. And if his response was just, oh, God, what is wrong with you, right? Yeah. Which I think is the meanest thing anyone can say to anybody. Like, we never say that in our house, what's wrong with you? Because that is – that's just so mean. Yeah, Um, like you're fucked up. Right. Like, and and what is wrong with – like, you are wrong. Who you are is wrong. Like, that is – where do you go from there? But if that was – which I could see that being the interaction – 
that breeds shame, right? Oh, that's exactly. Yes. That just causes us to turn in on ourselves, to get quiet and to say something is wrong with me. And shame is so fucking hard to feel. We will we will do everything to avoid feeling shame. Yeah. Shame is just the worst. It's mold in the basement. And so that's where alcohol comes in too. And so alcohol can both be, you know, the problem and the solution. Where yes. it's like, yes, the alcohol is the obstacle to us figuring out how we feel and how to say what we feel and to connect with our partner. And then it can also provide what we think and what we have been taught and tricked into thinking it's the solution. And it's right. like, well, I'm not going to feel this bad. I can't I can't sit into feeling like something's wrong with me. And so pouring a glass of wine seems like a good solution because what is that going to do? That's just going to make me not care. Right. And when I care, I'm a person who cares very much all the time about everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when you do that, which I think a lot of women and moms are like that, mm-hmm. pouring the glass of wine and not caring feels really fucking good. Yep. It's a temporary relief. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because if it weren't, you'd do it once and you wouldn't go back to it. Right. If there was a direct line, right? If the effects from the alcohol were quicker, if it was the instead of feeling the relief for 20 minutes, if we felt what actually what wine and alcohol caused in 20 minutes, our brain would very quickly say, oh, obviously my increased anxiety is because of this thing that I just drank. Right. Instead, those those effects are so delayed that our brain doesn't put those two together. Instead, our brain puts together like, oh, this made me feel feel good, which you guys feeling good means just caring less. And it makes you just careless, careless, right? Careless, careless. And it also makes you careless. Right. And that's, (laughs) I mean, that's just true. When when we think alcohol is relaxing us, helping our anxiety, yes, there's some of that for that 20 minutes, but it's just making us not care and not care about anything. Exactly. And also we're being told all the time culturally that that's the thing to do. So we've got that 20 minutes of it feels good. And then the the part that gets overridden then when it turns bad is that, yeah, but this is fun and this is good and this is the way you do it. And this this is is the solution. Yeah. And it's it's essential. Like obviously you're going to drink to cope with motherhood and being alive. (laughs) Right, right. And and it's like, wait, on this podcast we say – Hold on. <laughs> Can I stop you right there? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So villainizing anger, not good. Paying attention to anger is good. But also that need for when we get so angry that we just feel it, that we really have to do some introspection. And what that takes is time away even if it's, you know, go for a walk or go in your closet, but you need to get away. And in that 20 minutes or hour, I always told the guy, the guys in the group, you you need to tell your partner, hold on, I want to take a a time out. I'll be back in an hour. And then if you're not ready to come back in an hour, you don't just taking a time out is not storming out of the house saying, fuck you, I'm out of here. It's saying, I'm doing this as a partner. I got to just quit right now. Yeah. And so then you you stay in in contact like I'm I'm going to be gone for an hour. 
And then in that hour, you don't just ramp up or call your friend who's going to say, yeah, he is a son of a bitch. You have to take that time to get calm and to just let your mind get back to its full, its full mind, giving yourself that time to really understand and then dig down what's the vulnerable feeling. And then, yeah, and then what do I need? But you just really need to remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. And of course, drinking really messes with that because if I need to go for a drive to calm down. Right. (laughs) That's not the preferred method. Yeah, you don't even know. And so I do think that this is why when, when you stop drinking, we can be confronted with a lot of things that piss us off because we're, we're awake. <laughs> right, right, right. We're paying attention. Right. And alcohol lets us put up with a lot of shit. Yes. And so that can be really hard is when you start to see things clearly and when you start to say, oh, shit, I have to set boundaries, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When before I didn't have to set boundaries because I didn't care. I, I could just drink. Yeah, right? just numb out, numb right. out. Yeah. I could just numb out. But God, are you going to pay for that later, first of all? Right. And the whole idea of the whole range of emotion, yeah. that really is what yeah. makes us human. All of it. Feeling yes. all of it. When you brought up shame, I was really glad you mentioned that because shame is such a toxic thing. And it keeps us from being able to accept our flaws, to say, yeah, I screwed that up because I screwed something up or I did something wrong doesn't mean I'm wrong. It doesn't mean I'm bad. But shame says, you did something wrong, you're bad. And so when we feel shame, we can't help it. Sometimes that shame just comes up. But we have to look at it and say, this is toxic. I can feel guilt. Yeah. That's healthy. Okay, I did something bad. But it is not a reflection of whether I'm a good or bad person. Right. And that's why that phrase, what's wrong with you? Yes. Right? And and I think that that's just been a normalized phrase that people say all the time. What's wrong with you? I have had to work on not thinking that to myself, right? And so we don't say it. Like I would never say it to my kids and I would never say it to my husband. But would I ever say it to myself in uh, my brain? Like mm-hmm. what's wrong with me that I am caring about this stupid honey mustard? What's wrong with me, right? And that might mm. be that first thought. And then it's Okay, hold on. Because it's it's all about how we talk to ourselves and how we think, right? That's where the shame lives and that's where it grows like mold. Yes, that's exactly right. And and turning the lights on in those corners to be able to say, what is this about? And sometimes, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes you do need to talk to a therapist, somebody who can connect some dots that you don't even see and to ha- have them say you know, tell me a little bit about how you grew up. And, you know, as a therapist, one of the best moments in any therapy session was when someone would say, oh, I never thought of it that Mm -hmm. way. So as a therapist, someone that's not connected to the emotional piece and can just listen and go, Mm -hmm. oh, well, of course you feel that way, given what happened when you were young. Which is so, it's just so points to that our childhood matters. And and, oh, that, and so that much. when people are think, oh my God, well, I'm, you know, I'm 43. Like that's not, it's like, no, like you always <laughs> say, that's where the wiring was installed. That's exactly right. You know, I had a, 
a really clear demonstration of this, which I, I hope I can present this without drawing anything. But I went to Menards, which is a big box store. So the blinds were painted where you should park and it was all angled, right? The place was full. And so there were a bunch of trucks that were parked and they weren't parked angled. They were parked, parked straight. And there was one parking spot that I could pull into. And so, we, you know, I was in line with all the trucks that were there. I parked, not according to the lines, but according to the way everybody was parked. Okay. So I came out half an hour, hour later, and all those trucks were gone. Uh-oh. So my car is parked, not according to all where all the lines are. My car is parked straight and all the angles, all the lines are angled. And it looks like... Why the fuck did she park like that? It looks like you're the asshole. <laughs> right. And so that was such a good metaphor for I tried to fit in with my family. The way everybody was parked, I lined up just like they did. Mm. Then I left my family. I'm now on my own. And people are looking at me going, <laughs> why are you acting like that? <laughs> right. And I was like, I had to act like that to fit in with my family. Yeah. But now I'm just by myself and nobody understands. Yeah. And so when we have to fit into a dysfunctional system, mm -hmm. which in in some ways, every family's got its something, even really wonderful families. I mean, have isn't that something. true? Yeah. There's a book called The Drama of the Gifted Child. And that's one of the things she talks about in that book is... We don't grow up in perfect situations, no matter right. how lovely. Which also, that that kind of helps, you know, if you're a mom who's like, I don't want to screw up. I just, and it's yes. like, well, well, you are, and yes. that's okay. In some, just screw up in the little ways, not in the huge, right? Right. Good enough is good enough. Yes, but so trying to fit into a dysfunctional system. Yeah, of course. It, we bring things into our, our adulthood that we have to look at. Yeah. I just think that's where the power is in being sober and understanding ourselves, understanding where the wiring was installed and what the wiring is. And what do we need to do now to heal ourselves, to heal our relationships and to have healthier relationships and do better than than our parents did. Right. And especially when it comes to alcohol, right? Like so right. many of the women that I talk to are like, I grew up seeing my parents drink. So of course, of course I tried to park straight. Right. <laughs> but when you grow up and you realize, oh, okay, this, this oh, might- The lines are really supposed to be like yeah. this. Yeah. It's like that saying, like trauma moves down generations to the, and it stops at the one who is strong enough to feel it. Oh, okay. Or strong yeah. enough to deal with it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that can be us. But really only in sobriety is that is that possible. And that's a big statement, I know. Mm -hmm. But I that's true. And and you know, we always talk about we're going to talk about the the difference between an obstacle and a barrier, but alcohol truly is a barrier to right. all of this. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's just a block. It just completely blocks. It's just blocks. a big fucking wall. Right, an unscalable exactly. wall. And we don't realize that. And I'm not even talking about alcohol. Uh, I'm not talking about rock bottom. I'm, right. I'm just not, I'm not talking about addicted, right? Yeah. I'm talking yep. about if alcohol is invited into our lives and into our healing journeys, it's a barrier. Yep. Do you want to talk about the difference between obstacle and barrier? 
So an obstacle is something you just figure out what to do about it. I go over it, under it, around it, through it, whatever. I can figure out what to do about this obstacle that has presented itself. A barrier is something that will not allow me, no matter what, to get past this. And in our life, we have so many obstacles thrown in our way that we do, we give to ourselves, that other people, that just the world does, that there are problems. Okay, this is a problem. What do I need to do to solve it? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I often see is this idea of learned helplessness. So if I'm depressed, I often have this idea that, well, what's the use? Nothing can help. And so when we encounter obstacles, then we feel like, oh, what's the use? I can't get past this. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. Obstacles, there is always something you can figure out. You can ask for help. You can get your support gathered up. You can just decide to go to sleep or go for a walk or brainstorm solutions. But obstacles are not barriers. They are just something that we need to figure out. So in sobriety, we might have an obstacle of everybody in my social group drinks, everybody in my family drinks. That's not a barrier. What am I going to do to figure out what to do about this problem? Obstacles are just challenges. Yes. And so often I think we, you know, and we recorded an episode about if your partner still drinks, that was, maybe we'll link that in the show notes because that was maybe a couple months ago. And so often I think women, generally speaking, think that if their partner drinks or if their partner is a big drinker or drinks a lot and that they have generally done that with them, Mm -hmm. that that's a barrier to them stopping drinking, right? Right. And that's just not true. No, nothing is a barrier. What are barriers? Like what would be a barrier? Well, I think of uh, physical things. Like if somebody has a, and I don't necessarily mean about sobriety, but when I, with clients I've dealt with, there are some things that are barriers. Like they just are physically unable for whatever reason. Well, like I had a client that was a quadriplegic. Yes. That was a clear barrier though. He, he overcame many an obstacle in that. So defining what is the actual barrier and what are things that I can figure out? Yes. And once we have some confidence born of sobriety, maybe, that I can figure out a ton of shit and I can really figure out solutions to all kinds of things. Yes. Okay. Here's a barrier, giving up. Yeah. Just saying, okay, can't do it. There's just nothing I can do. Well, I guess like learned helplessness would be a barrier. That's right. And so often I, I think that we build up in our brain obstacles as barriers. Yes, it's so true. In fact, uh, in one of our groups recently, someone was talking about going to a concert and then she didn't know what to do with her hands. And she just like, oh my gosh, it's just so, it's such a big thing. Yeah. That's an obstacle. That's like, okay, you need to figure out what to do with your hands. You need to bring a NA drink. Uh, Those things are, you know, bring on the obstacles, right? Right, right. It creates this ability. this sense of confidence. And the more we figure out what to do with one, the more we can figure out what to do with the rest of them. Mm -hmm. It just increases our feeling of strength and power. Yeah. It's like, like early sobriety is kind of an obstacle course. Yeah. We say, 
And I think that's, if we look at obstacles that way, oh, here's a challenge. Right. This will make me stronger. I can cr- scale this wall. I can go under this whatever. We can look at it with a oh kind of sense, or we can look at it like, hey, I'm equal to this. Right. I can take, a, I take on this obstacle. And that's just true that without alcohol, there's yes. no obstacle that we can't figure out. Everything is figure outable without when alcohol is not in the picture. And also, yes. like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, I always come back to the worst thing because that's just how my brain works. And I've been talking about this a lot in the group. And it, it is, you know, we'll talk a lot about shifting your perspective in sobriety and how that is always, it's always the answer. Always. If you have a question in sobriety, if you have a fear, if you're pissed, if you have any... The answer, like if if someone says, well, when does sobriety get easier? How do I do this? How do My answer will always be surrounded by shifting your perspective. Like it will always include that, right? Yes. Because yes. we're changing our brains and that's necessary. Yes. Okay. So what is the worst that can happen in sobriety? You're going to have obstacles and you're going to feel uncomfortable, right? Right. And generally those obstacles mean you're going to feel uncomfortable. Like that is that's the worst. Yeah. We will do a lot of things to avoid feeling uncomfortable. And we will do, we have done in our adult lives, probably all of us listening, have welcomed in alcohol, which brings with it a huge fucking question mark to the question, what is the worst that could happen? We will welcome in that to avoid feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, isn't that that's really Is, such a stark way to put it? That's really good, Suzanne. Thanks, Mom. It's like you. It's like you do this for a living. It's like it's like I'm writing a book on it or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but it that's is such a stark way to put it. Yeah, the worst thing that can happen when you're sober is just life and feeling uncomfortable and maybe having to feel. Yes, having to feel, and and yes, that includes anger, and that includes all of the hard feelings, but that also includes all of the wonderful feelings, right? Right, right. And so, yes, in sobriety, you will have to feel. Yes. But in al- when alcohol is invited, it's a question mark. Right. And the tragedies that I have heard from people that have, you know, killed someone when they were drunk driving and went to prison for five years. You know, the tragedies just are just unimaginable. Right. And that's the question mark. And that is what we're putting in place of feeling. Right. When I think about being sober and having to have feelings, strong feelings, I mean, the whole richness of everything, yeah. the feeling sad and and mourning and all of it. Yeah. That's where good music comes from. That's yes. where good literature comes. That's yeah. where good art comes from. Yeah. The richness of our emotions mm-hmm. is not something that we should want to deaden. Right. And, and isn't it ironic that people are like, like creatives or writers or whatever. It's like, well, I'm not going to be creative if I, if I give up alcohol. It's like, well, you have no idea. The women that I talk to almost in every episode, what they have accomplished and done in sobriety. I mean, that's not a coincidence. Right. That's not a like, oh, well, they were just bored and they had time on there. That's not a time factor. It, it's part right. of it. But it's it's being able to create and to 
feel and to connect with yourself. It's astounding. It is. And all those women that you've talked to, everyone that's written a book, and yeah. including yourself, you're writing a book, you wouldn't have done that when you're drinking, drinking, drinking. No, it's drinking, just not drinking, 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 or even just drink, or even just one drinking. <laughs> you know, it's just not possible. Yeah. So feel everything. And then when you're angry, figure out what else is going on because right. there is something else going on. My therapist always used to just say, we have six emotions. Mad, sad, glad, afraid, ashamed, hurt. Now, there are hundreds of words for emotions. But if we put them in those categories, it makes it easier to try to identify what's going on. Mad, sad, glad, afraid, ashamed, hurt. So when we're mad, you're in the amygdala, you're getting going away into your, your closet or for a walk and trying to figure out what is really going on here. Going away, I think, is huge. And that's for our children, too. You know, I think that we've, you know, go to a timeout and as a punishment. That's a tool. That's a tip to say, okay. And, and if they see you doing that, whatever our kids see us doing, they're going to do. Like my kids now see me saying, I'm getting so frustrated. I need a moment. I say that probably every day, probably every day <laughs> around 530. <laughs> right. I'm getting so frustrated. I need a moment. And now my six-year-old says that I'm getting, I'm feeling very frustrated, you know, and my four-year-old just turned four will say that. And that's key because yes. they're saying, oh, great. Oh, great. Now you know how you feel. Not just I'm mad. Like, give me this. No, no. How do you feel? And what do you need? I need a moment. I need a moment of quiet to myself to first calm down, calm my nervous system down, remind myself that I'm not in danger, that that I am safe, right? And then calm down, take some deep breaths. And a lot of times that's all I need. Well, so what's the bottom line? That just angers the message, pay attention to it, think about what's under it, what's the vulnerable feeling, what do you need? And also if you're getting mad about things that just seem it's over the top how much anger you have for the thing that's in front of you. It's probably something going on from childhood and maybe got to figure that out. Yeah. And that alcohol is a barrier to all of that. Yes. That's good, mom. I, I love our, our therapy sessions on the podcast. Thanks, mom. Thanks, sweet girl. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Have you ever had a fight where, like, later you say, oh, man, I wish I would have said this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, because later your brain not is Not like working. a better comeback, you mean? No, not like a better, not <laughs> like I a better attack. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. But like, like oh, oh, that would have been a good one. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of 
how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.